I'm Jimmy G, your host for this episode of Re-Engage. Tonight, we unpack the vengeance factor in which the Enterprise runs into a race of people entirely made up of Petruchio understudies from Kiss Me Kate and Riker meets a new Harpus. So, no chance of discord there. I have two beers in 57 minutes before I wet my pants, so let's get to it. <laughs> Welcome to Re-Engage, where we re-watch TNG a show we loved when we were younger, episode by episode, and see if it holds up to some older eyes. Let's say hello to the re-engage bridge crew, none of whom are number twos. Miss Kate, how you do? I do great. I'm excited about the 57 minutes and the two beers. I'm on board. Let's do this thing. All right. Eric, how are you? Not being a number two is perhaps the kindest thing you've ever said to me. And um, there is a tiny kitten asleep on me and the computer. So I will be pretty uh, low key in our 57 minutes. Get it going, everybody. Craig, how are you doing? I'm excited. I'm excited mostly because I want to increase the volume of Eric's talking while I'm editing this episode. It's going to be really fun. <laughs> All right, so we, uh, as I said, we are doing um, episode nine, season three, The Vengeance Factor. That's star date 43421.9. To us regular folk here uh, in the modern day, that is air date November 20th, 1989. Greg, what was happening? We are continuing the trend of a whole bunch of demonstrations going on in Eastern Bloc countries. November 17th, three days before this aired, a student demonstration in Prague was put down by riot police extremely violently. And that led to an uprising that uh, was called the Velvet Revolution, because although there, there was that student demonstration that was put down, that was the only bit of violence that happened in this entire revolution in the Czech, Czechoslovakia. The people just basically went completely nuts after the uh, communist regime responded the way they did to those students. And a group was formed uh, by someone that we might know from the theater world. Can, any, can anyone take a guess? Václav Havel. Yeah. Václav Havel. Yeah. Uh, he formed a group. He didn't call it a party, uh, but it was called the Civic Forum. And it brought together all of the dissidents in Czechoslovakia and it led to a revolution in which uh, the entire communist regime was overthrown and put in place a uh, republic. And it all happened uh, due to events that happened just before this episode aired. A couple of other more domestic things. Uh, on November 21st, the day after this aired, a law banning smoking on most domestic flights was signed by the president. So this is when smoking was banned in airlines we talked about that a little earlier about how wait this is still when they're able to smoke and now they're not able to smoke on planes anymore it's so fascinating <laughs> it feels so long ago and was so long ago and we are old we are <laughs> old uh i think I, we're at the point now where you're on planes it's very rare to see an ashtray but there was time over the last you know few decades we're like oh yeah this is yeah. an older plane they still got ashtrays here yeah i feel like they're mostly cycled out by now mostly because they replaced the seats so they could squish in people like sardines a little bit more so that right. happened for us less legroom <laughs> yes uh, exactly also one final thing uh tv cameras in november 21st were permitted for the first time in the british house of commons another thing that we think of as uh commonplace in our world is being able to see government in action by the people and it wasn't until this date that uh, that was possible in the uk i think c-span was already happening here in the united states but britain we wouldn't be able to have all those knocking moments and and their their, their <laughs> bitchiness in the british uh parliament uh until until this date that's what they always sound like it's i true. know <laughs> like the old people at the muppets <laughs> Well, that's a great segue. Let's just keep with Miss Kate uh, and find out what was happening in the pop cultures. 
Who in the Muppets? <laughs> Not much uh, in pop culture this week. When I see you smile by Bad English is still number one. Although the record that uh, that was uh, released on this date was "Kickstart My Heart" by Motley Crue, released. Uh, fantastic, fucking just all of it. One of my very first CDs. Oh. At the same time, I bought a CD by Poison, and uh, I don't remember who else. Anyway, Def Leppard. I got three. Uh, hair metal CDs on the same day. Boom. Hysteria? Yep. Fucking nice. Uh, and the number one movie, Harlem Nights with Ooh. Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor. Heck yeah. Fuck yeah, right? Yeah. I can't remember where it's streaming right now, but it's streaming somewhere. And back to you, Jimmy. All right. So uh, let's break into our directors and writers. The director was Timothy Bond. He did two episodes of TNG. The Most Toys is the next episode, which is coming up. Uh, he has tons of credits um, dating back from like 1972 all the way up through 2012. Uh, his IMDb page did not have a tombstone marker showing when he died, but his credits do end in 2012. So if you're still out there, Tim, thank you for this episode. Uh, we have a couple of writers, uh, Sam Rolf, uh, tons of writing credits for Sam. He wrote an episode for DS9 uh, as well. And uh, he did a lot of show development. Uh, in fact, more show development than he did writing. Uh, he helped develop The Man From UNCLE, uh, Have Gun and Will Travel, and perhaps uh, most notably, Karate Killers. One of his big time <laughs> karate killers. Yes. And then uh, we have uh, one Richard Danis. Did a little bit of writing, but primarily he was an executive story editor. He was uh, in that position for eight episodes of TNG, some episodes of DS9 as well. He helped develop Blue Thunder, the TV series, huh. and Serpico, the TV series, uh, and developed and wrote uh, Macmillan and Wife. So those are our guys there. Um, let's crack open the Larry Nimbusik files before we turn over the rest of the show to Eric for our guest stars. No. Uh, <laughs> just two quick ones. Uh, the Gatherer that was left in charge uh, by Brule when he goes off to, um, when Brule goes off to escort uh, the Enterprise to uh, his boss was none other than Citrus's boyfriend at the time, uh, and they would soon be married in 1992. Oh. And the fusion reactor that was stolen from the Federation outpost is the same fusion reactor from Who Watches the Watchers. And all they did was this term is taken right from Larry Nemesic. They just added a few more stick on panels <laughs> and labels, which to me means there's a whole canon of out there where there's a warehouse of stick on things that you can just go and get and put it onto other pieces of set and make them all new. Um, as long as you can, spray silver spray paint on them, it's right. good to go. And then uh, in labels, just things like this is a bomb label. This is touch here for uh, explosion. So there's our Nemesic files for this week. Eric, the show is yours. Thank you. Um, strap in, everybody. We got <laughs> we got five. I'm gonna touch on today. I guess we'll start right away with our prime antagonist. As it turns out, uh, no spoilers, of course, but that will be Utah, played by the brilliant Lisa Wilcox. And genre fans will, of course, be familiar with her wonderful work as Alice in the Nightmare on Elm Street world. Uh, mm. She star of both dream master and dream child and of course the fat boys theme video for dream master uh, you'll all remember are you ready for freddy uh one of the great uh, pieces <laughs> of the fat boys uh catalog the whole one which we celebrate <laughs> it was also missy preston uh bill s preston's in the tv series yes in the tv series and of course Ted Theodore Logan's stepmother and later uh, sister-in-law. This is the TV series iteration of the character, but she did it uh, for the entire series. Um, she was in Knott's Landing, MacGyver, Mr. Belvedere, Boy Meets World, lots and lots of indie horror that I do not yet know. We move on to Joey Oresco as Bro. Tons of work, of course. You know him from everything recently. We've seen him in The Flash, The L Word, Dead Zone, Dark Angel, you go back to other TV stuff and movies like Piranha, Sleepwalkers, 
I need to tell you right now, he was a semi-regular on my favorite television show and one of the reasons that I am an actor, the show Rock, an early one on Fox TV. They did an entire season live. Live. I remember that. Holy moly, what a collection of Broadway freaking stars in that particular show. He was one of uh, Rock's uh, co-workers at the uh, sanitation department. And uh, before that, he was in Dallas, Santa Barbara, Beauty and the Beast, The Hidden, if you go back and remember that terrific role in that one, Night Court Rockford Files started out on like Kolchak, The Night Stalker. Wow. Then you move on to The Sovereign, another monster. She passed away in 01, but we remember and celebrate her from Motel Hell. Uh, things like Janice Van Meter with the wonderful sight gag in Steel Magnolia. She ended her entire career with a couple of soaps, but we will, of course, always remember her as the immortal ball bricker in Porky's and the many sequels. That first scene in that first movie where she and the, uh, the old man are speaking in the foreground with all of the young punks in the background laughing their asses off and falling off the furniture, holds up so well because of her performance. Like, the reason that's a classic is that scene. And my goodness, she's amazing in it. I encourage you to look up everything she did. Terrific uh, career. But as we mentioned, we have a monster list of guest stars to go. So now we go to Stephen Lee, who we see uh, do a wonderful job as one of Jimmy's uh, Shakespearean uh, Petruchio rejects, uh, uh, Chorgan. Uh, if you take a look at him, his entire career, he's just had an incredible, incredible uh, uh, series of performances and everything from war games, uh, where he plays uh, a military person, he plays uh, uh, cops in everything, negotiator, he's all the way back to 1987, he is, of course, the big bopper in the La Bamba movie. His most recent work, because he unfortunately died in 2014, was Burlesque, uh, where he had a really nice role as Dwight. You're going through everything you want to see. You, uh, you see things like Grey's Anatomy, Nip Tuck, Line of Fire. It's almost all television. John Doe, Philly, CSI, Nash Bridges, Dark Angel. To Have and To Hold, Mike Hammer, Private Eye, Murder One, Sybil, it goes all the way back. A couple Star Trek, Santa Barbara, Night Court, The City, TV 101, all the way back into the early 80s with his debut in Heart to Heart. The last one we're going to talk about here is Mark Lawrence, and oh my God, can we only briefly touch on this uh, mother grabber. He had over 200 credits just in TV and film, and he also was incredibly uh, versatile on stage. Uh, we see him a lot in gangster roles all the way back in the 1930s in a movie called If I Had a Million was his first. And uh, he goes all the way through a ton of stuff you and I would remember. Unfortunately, uh, due to uh, his own political leanings and former membership in the Communist Party, he was brought before HUAC, and he did name names, uh, and they blacklisted him anyway, so that lets you know, everybody, don't be a rat. You will not get what you want out of it, though he did make it back uh, to have a really stellar career again after after the blacklist kind of dissipated. Everything you've ever heard of, I really encourage you to go take a look at his work. In particular, the one that jumped out at me was Frasier the Sensuous Lion, a movie from 1973. I've never heard of it, can't track it down, but if you can, I really, really encourage it. He's done everything you've ever heard of. Mark Lawrence. Wait, hold on. Frasier? Frasier Crane? The The Sensuous Lion? In 1973, he was a furry. He was working very hard (laughs) to raise awareness for the population and uh, did some good work, I think. Good for him. And then he gets to die in this episode. Yeah. All right, let's crack it open. We have our opening scene. Riker, Data, Worf, and Crusher are beamed down, are beamed into a beat up Federation outpost. Uh, Amongst the things they find is Worf noticing that the reactor is missing. This will be important a little bit later, but more important, Beverly finds a piece of metal 
with non-human blood on it, her tricorder can't do enough, so they're going to have to take it back to the ship for further analysis to see what it is. Uh, and perhaps the most important lesson in this scene is we definitively find out that Data is actually way stronger than Worf. Because uh, Worf tries to get the door open, he can't. I'm really impressed with how well Brent Spiner and... Uh, Michael Dorn deal with that door, which we know is made of like balsa wood. We see how <laughs> thing is all the time. And uh, they do a pretty good job of masking that with a little help from the editor who cuts at the perfect place uh, when Data's pushing it across. I, I noticed it and was impressed. All right. So uh, anything else on that other than the impressive work with balsa wood? Uh, I just love the way Worf throws things he, like just like fuck this thing fuck this other thing it's very cat like like I fucking hate it and then like it's like to prove how strong he is and then he goes to that door and I imagine he's like fuck it is too much. <laughs> he's like, I hope I hope Data doesn't come over here damn it like the guy in grad school who tried to exit as Laertes during his you know tri er, during his really really sad my sisters just died moment and the door didn't open, and you could just see him deflate and then walk around it. And go <laughs> Love you, Scott. Miss you. Oh, my gosh. Yes. All right. So here we are. Back from the break. Act one. Scene one. We have Beverly analyzing the blood, and she finds out that it is a humanoid species, the Acamarians. And they deduce that it was likely a, a raid that was carried out by the gatherers. Uh, same come from the Akamarians, but they're an offshoot of people who were kind of kicked off the planet, and now they, kind of a sci-fi trope. Um, almost every franchise has a group of people that are, are wandering around and just kind of steal whatever they need to get by. Sometimes they're like stealing genes to keep their gene pool going or just taking resources so they can just cling by. Uh, this is Star Trek's version of it, The Gatherers. I like this bit of this world building here because it wasn't, it, it came slowly. It wasn't, and they could have just done that in the cold open being like, Oh, the Akamarians are, are, uh, are attacking. It must be the gatherers. Like they just, they, they have a nice way where the characters deduce things that we don't have any frame of reference right. for, but for some reason it just leads us into this, uh, wonderful plot where we're like, okay, well, if it's them, then we need to go talk and uh, set a course for Akamaria. And get me the one person who represents all of the Akamarians. And indeed, that's the case here. We get to meet. Uh, but at least this makes sense in this situation because they unified, right? They unified under one uh, yes, government. The and the people planet. who didn't, they became the fucking gatherers. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I, I don't know how it would work if various Earth nations became interstellar alone. Like, I would be interested in watching or reading that story, but like, it makes sense to me that before a planet goes out and makes treaties or after it's happened once or twice, like either by dint of the new allies or not being able to really concentrate on out there before you have shit handled at home. Like one, a dictatorship or a worldwide democracy with one spokesperson kind of makes sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, not to me. <laughs> we can't even we can't even talk about a country's border without it being 50 nation heads much less no i know uh, which is why we're not going to go out into space anytime right. for soon what yeah. you don't understand is that the Akama system is a very tiny planet. It's very, <laughs> it's more like yeah. a like a really large Ikea. You always end up back somehow <laughs> near the meatballs. You don't know how you got there. And the whole planet is like that. So True. Canon. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Picard uh, takes audience with, I'm going to call, I'm going to say Maruk. Are we okay sure. with that? Or is oh, yeah. All right. So Maruk, and there's a lot of back and forth about um, these gatherers and what she thinks should be done for them. She's, uh, you know, she thinks, you know, this is great. You guys can go out and capture these guys. We've been go going after them for years. Uh, it's been 18 years or so since we last seen them, but these they're crazy. Um, and you guys can take care of this, no problem. And Bacar's like, nah, we're not really here to go <laughs> clean up your business. We're here to see if we can't get this resolved because it's affecting everybody now. Like, it's not just your business is our business is starting to affect federation outposts so you got to get your house in order uh and she actually you know eventually she's like 
okay, that's great. Let's, uh, you're right. Let's try to bring him back. Let's see if we can't figure this out and um, uh, bring it home. She's very reasonable, right? I mean, it's, she goes from let's hunt him down to, yeah, let's uh, reacclimate them into our society fairly quickly. And I, and I would say believably, it's, you know, she's like, you're kind of the boss. You're, you're holding the cards, Picard. So yeah, let's do it. I mean, did it affect you guys any differently or did I nail that? Well, you obviously nailed it, but I do love that she's not particularly happy about it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where it rings true, right? Is that she is in this power moment uh, and she is so displeased by it, but knows she's in a corner and has to proceed forward. And she sort of takes Mm -hmm. that distaste throughout. And did you guys think this was the Federation's business? I mean, I I knew like there's the outpost that got raided, but for me, there's a little bit of... um, like when a head of state um, comes to America, but they only get to meet with the secretary. <laughs> it's like you're you're low down. It's like you you run your country, but here in America, you meet with the staff, not with the president. You're not there yet, uh, and that's what it, this this felt like that to me. It was like you're dealing with a like starship captain. He's kind of telling you, no, you're gonna go do this. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, okay. It did seem odd that it was uh, Picard who has was thrust into this role. Right. Because you'd think of a, a federation would send their diplomats and the, you know, their entire bureaucratic regime to try to resolve something like this. But he does say it is he's the only one there. He's the only one in this sector. You know, he's got to uh, be able to control what is happening with the raids, which is affecting, like you said, more than just this planet and their, their particular politics. It's affecting everybody and all the other planets in the system. And so he's like, all right, let's solve this uh, through diplomatic means. And also just feels like that's what the federation's utopian type of thing is supposed to do rather than having it all be you know guns and lasers and 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 exhibiting their will they're like we can be peacemakers here and i like that uh picard is put into that situation no i agree but i think you bring up a good point that there's probably uh a platoon a ship full of diplomats are just waiting for the moment where they get to go out and do their thing and this freaking picard you know keeps getting in the way like just cock blocking them so that they can't do their thing because he's uh so good at it as well all right so scene three we're in maruk's quarters uh aboard the enterprise we get to meet the rest of her party but only one of them by name and that is chef yuda uh who's not only a chef but she's the taster for the sovereign which immediately is like oh this is a bit futile and wow (laughs) you're still in a position where somebody has to taste your food because you might be poisoned i will say as a former chef all chefs are tasters, so like it's, it's very evident. like that <laughs> is i mean if you're willing to replace your chef at least you don't have to replace your taster too because <laughs> your chef is always going to be tasting the food right tasting their food not necessarily yeah. tasting other people's food to make sure it's safe for you I mean, I was a chef. I taste all the food I come in contact with. Give it. You got to. Yeah. Right? Isn't that part of the whole chef school thing? Is like you can't serve anything you haven't tasted yourself. Right. Yeah, so yeah. that's why I spit in every single dish that I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have chocolate. And I was a pastry chef. So that was that created some. some wow. uh, prof- that's why you had to hire a Uta to be with you. Yeah. Her name was Uta Hagen. Uh-huh. She's dead now. <laughs> because it's of Uta, yeah. <laughs> I was I was thinking about how Uta is uh, introduced to both Riker and the idea of replicators at the same time, yes. and which one is going to cause more culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it especially made it a little uncomfortable when she starts talking about fleshy roots. Because <laughs> he was laying it on thick already. He's like, oh, oh there's so, so thick. many jokes here. So a bit of foreshadowing there about smashing uh, yet to come. You think? All right. So it was a fun scene. I mean, it, we knew where there was something going to happen uh, with Riker and Uta. 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 Is it Uta? Uh, all right. So I kind of like that scene. It was a nice introduction. And the whole tasting thing for me was a bit foreshadowing as well. I was like, why do you have a taster? Seems like it's going to come into play. So we go on to, to scene four. Riker, Worf, and Jordy beam down to Gamma Harami 2. So this is where uh, the gatherers, this is one of their colonies that they like to hide out on. This set, 
that looked exactly like the set of production of Jesus Christ Superstar I was in in high school. Because <laughs> it was all dystopian and scaffolding everywhere. Because, you know, you have to have a lot of levels when there's like a shit ton of teenagers singing about Jesus with to rock music. Ah, gentlemen. <laughs> you could see uh, Caiaphas showing up. Hell yeah. So the Petruchio understudies are on the set of Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> and it's kind of like if if Inigo Montoya were from New Jersey. Yes, uh, yes! that is perfect. <laughs> With a little bit of Road Warrior wardrobe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so it's basically like a colony full of junk, right? I mean, everything there is just. It, there's no rhyme or reason. They're obviously not stealing for stuff they need. They're just stealing. Like, what you got? We're going to need That's it. That's what I need. So there's all kinds of stuff. They, like, they throw out these words of things that they're finding. They find a reactor, most likely the reactor that was uh, just stolen. But the most important thing is they find some nororium, nor, 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 unium. I don't know. Unobtainium. Uh, Unobtainium. Unobtainium on the ground there. Um, but it, it sets up for the next scene, which is the stinky understudies, we'll call it. They uh, they, they ambush him. We get the nice big line with ambush from uh, Worf. Bunch of lasers. Pew, Purple pew, lasers. Pew, 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 pew. Uh, we find out that uh, the lasers are kind of weak sauce. They're, they're not really that uh threatening and this is where we get our unobtainium not what they call it and uh <laughs> level seven will vaporize this this metal and it causes a nice uh nice fog show for the lasers they fake beaming <laughs> out then they start playing the wall <laughs> <laughs> we don't need no that's when the Petruchio understudies come down and start shit talking about, you know, they're too weak. Why can't you stay? And of course, they talk too soon because that's when Worf gets his, what I think now is contracted. I get the best one liner of each episode because he grabs him and he says, Your ambushes would be more successful if you bathed more often. Yeah. Uh, boom, drops the mic. They have the guys in hand. Oldest trick in the book. You got to ambush the ambushers. Everyone knows. Ambush the ambushers. Yeah. Uh, it was a fun scene, I thought. Like, a, it's probably the coolest tactical thing that maybe Riker ever does in the series of TNG, where he comes up with an idea and has them implement it. And it's like, has it's it's to great effect. Like, yeah. And rides the metal. And there's no conversation about it whatsoever. He does it all with eye movements. Yeah. He like communicates, oh yeah, we'll go with this, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, oh yeah, Riker, good Level job. Level seven should do. Level seven should do it, <laughs> says Jordy. Which is important. I didn't realize it. It's important. The settings of your, your phaser, it's important. For later. In this episode. For later. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> so that was act one. We now move into act two. Two, we have Picard and Maroc uh, beaming down to meet with Brule. So he is Petruchio, the, the head understudy. Brule's offered a drink, uh, and he forces his second-in-command to take it. Like, he pulls him down, <laughs> pours it down his throat, and then they all have a big laugh about it because, of course, <laughs> that's what you do when your boss attempts to murder you or at least puts you in harm's way. <laughs> I mean, what they did you guys think about uh, just about that opening? Oh, because they're they're so frat boy about everything. Like they're like, oh, dude, bro, and like at right. one point she says, "You haven't changed in a hundred years," and they say, "You should know you were there." Yeah, which is just like <laughs> right. the level of that's about it. The height of their. It was like the guys from Porky's. They were basically cosplaying them in the future if they had yeah. gained, uh, you know, spaceflight. And she's. Bellbricker. Brule sends everybody else away. Like they start talking about maybe you should come back home, you know, give up this. You can be, you know, you don't need to live this way anymore. And the actor or the director set it up because there's a moment there where I thought he was about to say, yes, let's do this. And then he was like, everybody get out. Yeah. Except for Picard and Moran. And then that's when he talks. It may have just been a device so that nobody's around <laughs> or. Or uh, Yuna is sent away so she can do her thing. But 
it actually lent itself also to his characters. Like he wants to save face. He doesn't want to look like he's weak. But yes, this our junkyard isn't cool. You're right. Like if we could come home, that would this be... clubhouse isn't as cool as I <laughs> right. thought it was going to be. And, We're tired uh, of Jesus Christ Superstar. There's got to be new scripts out there. Can someone do something about my face? Like please. <laughs> <laughs> Bad. All right. So everyone breaks off. They start talking, and Yuda finds this doddering old gatherer who's like kind of mumbling to himself. She confronts him. He's like, "Hey, are you part of the Lorna clan?" Yeah, I am. Then she just does this little gentle touch to his face and boom, he's gone. Has uh, what appears to be a heart attack. But she first asks him, do you remember me? Or do I look familiar? And he's like, you know, you do, but that's impossible. No one could look familiar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too old. Uh, But a little bit of mystery. You know, like, why does she kill him? And how, uh, you know, why is it impossible that she uh, should look familiar to this old guy. I almost wish they hadn't made it that last line of like, my clan were outlive yours because there could have been this question of, did she actually kill him? You know, or did he, you know, because you're right. Mm. The touch was so un- inconsequential. We don't know yet about the vehicle for, for her killing all of the Lornax. Right. So I, I wish they, they had just kept that a little bit closer to the chest because it kind of gives away the, the mystery for the rest of the of the episode. And I was like, is she doing this under orders, right? Is Has the mm. Sovereign given her the order to, like, right. be my assassin? You know, which also totally. would have been an interesting qu- query, you know. Brule decides that his boss, uh, Shorgan, should be the one who decides if we should go back and what those terms would be. And then there's the scream that breaks the attention. Uh, and then everybody comes to find out, come to see this dead guy. Um, and another gatherer, uh, and this might be the one that you, the one of the the stars you're alluding to, Eric. I can't remember who he was, but he immediately claims the rights to the old guy's stuff, and he starts to take the guy's shoes. And then Riker kind of like he bumps in and grabs him by the shoulder and throws him out of the way. And I thought maybe Riker was a little bit out of line here, like it. The guy's pilfering a dead man's clothes, but you don't know enough about these people to know, like, is this what they do? Like, Look, Riker really wanted yeah. those shoes. <laughs> yeah, he's like, are you jealous? What's going on? Like, and Riker's read enough history to know that a lot of cultures were like this. You know, He knows on. that Air Jordans are worth a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely what they were. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a weird detail for Riker. I think he was, you know, I don't know maybe just pissed off, but this, again, I wish that they had not said that he was of the Lornak clan earlier because it would have been such a great way to get it out, that information that he was Lornak because the guy comes in and says, there's no other members of clan Lornak here. Can I take his stuff? We wouldn't even really clock that that was important detail to remember right. no, if, if it wasn't already mentioned earlier in that earlier scene. Right. So um, yeah, a couple of missed, missed, missed opportunities here in the writing to be a little more. Uh, and nobody really cares, right? I mean, the... The gatherers, they're like brutal. Everybody, like, yeah, he's dead. That's old. That's what old people do. They die. I mean, he was really old. <laughs> Not suspicious. They don't care. Like, investigation over. And yeah, he sounds like, very Whoa. much like the attorney general of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where he got his inspiration. We should see if he wants to be on the podcast. Big Trekker. Yes. Yeah. My Big favorite tracker. episode. And I love that Crusher comes up and she's like basically like let's let's figure all this out like it's, it's going to be a medical mystery uh, yeah. episode. Well, so we open up with her. She hardly ever goes on the away cruise, right? And immediately she's important. Blood. We got to find out who it is, Bev. Uh, mm-hmm. And now they bring her back down. She checks the guy. He's like, yeah, he died of a heart attack. But what's weird is he has a really strong heart, uh, and there's no other evidence that he should have had a heart attack other than the fact that he just had a heart attack so um i'm on the case let's take him up (laughs) to the enterprise and uh let's see what's going on so she takes him away for some sleuthing and then we move on to our fourth scene in act two which is brule uh sauntering on to the bridge and this scene i immediately thought of kate because he like Picks the smallest guy on the bridge. He zeroes in on him, and he starts doing his bullying thing. And he goes straight uh, for my Wesley. You know, I'm not a big West fan, but I was like, punch this guy in the neck. I mean, he's just right? a big jerk face. Says he's just a child, which right. is technically true. 
Very true. <laughs> and what about the, the stare down from Picard? And Brule kind of backs off. He's like, mm, yeah. okay, well, that's not fun. That's not fun. Dad. <laughs> Go back to my clubhouse. Let's kill. It's kind of a bully thing, right? You know, like you only pick on the weaker person, and when somebody stands up to you, you're like, "Well, it's not fun to be challenged." Well, even even when he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna go this way through the asteroids," field, you're not afraid of asteroids. He's like, "Well, yeah, but I can also make it so there's no asteroids." Right, and then he doesn't care. Uh, I mean, total frat boy. He's like, "Yeah, whatever, man. I, I, I didn't care anyways. Have it your way." I don't even oh, know what warp seven right. is. Yeah, it just goes <laughs> off. I mean, he could have—they could have just inserted Kick Rocks geek there. Like that was his to- whole attitude towards Wes. But uh, then they have that scene later on. I don't know if we can jump ahead to the to the closing of that, which is them having this like weird heart to heart in Ten Forward later on. Well, but, yeah, but a screaming match, heart to heart, that nobody else pays attention to. Right. <laughs> yes. That ends with him calling his own son stupid. <laughs> Right. My son ain't good at math. And you're right. There was a little a little bit of a closed loop there um, in that he's, you know, he says, like, I don't want to steal. And that's the yelling part because he gets up on the table like, I don't want to steal. I have to do it to survive. And I don't know if he was told to do that or if it was uh, an instinct of, well, this is a, a very important choice. Like, I have to do it. Like, you know, it makes everyone else on the set look dumb and react or yeah. the directors and writers dumb for like, well, now we got to, you can't be that big. And we'd not show all the other people in Tin Ford going, what are you doing yelling? And where's guided for this guy? Like stealing drinks away from people right, right when he comes in. I mean, there's a bunch of Tin Ford scenes in this episode and not a single guy in spotting. I was disappointed at that. Yeah. Also at the bartender who served that drink and then, uh, He's he's acting to the person who's off screen being like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll get you another one. But it's all this like nonverbal thing that I was like, oh, man, even in the 24th century, food service sucks. <laughs> what I as did... a job and as an experience. Yeah. What I did like about that scene, though, is that it gives uh the reason for why he's on board and it makes sense for his change of heart Mm. um very simply right like he doesn't have to have this big long reason it's like i want my kids to grow up better which is very real yeah and i guess you could argue it's um even though they gave him really like gruff manner and unlikable characteristics you can you can be those things and still want your family to do better totally. you could be a jerk and still want your family to do well even while you're being a jerk to them like uh there is those those uh contradictions in love in relationships just like petruchio <sighs> wow they should make a musical about that <laughs> uh so we move on to uh just not another scene but a different part of tin ford it's fleshy roots time Oh, yeah. Hell so yeah. Yuda brings in the Akamarian dish, and uh, Riker's there with <laughs> Troy. She puts the dish down. Uh, they both taste it, and they're both genuinely impressed. This is yummy, yummy, yummy. And maybe <laughs> for the first time, Troy picks up on something that nobody else does. She deuces out like the best wing woman ever. And that's why you know their love is real in the end. Like, right? He doesn't even like, thank you. He's just like, she knows. We got it down. And it's not pure wing woman, so you can look at it later too. She leaves and she does not look back and she does not look at Riker when she goes. Uh, she Once she says goodbye to her, she just looks straight ahead, Riker kind of <laughs> her go, and she does not make eye contact with him. It's great. Yeah, and he just takes his napkin, puts it on his knees, like, yeah. That's how yeah, we his roll. knees. <laughs> her, her toes are not curling anymore. A good meal, but some cryptic conversation between the two of them, especially, I mean, not from the two of them, from uh, Uda about sort of why she's in the position and what she can and can't do. And then Riker is called away because Beverly has found a clue 
in the case. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big one, and it's a really fun sci-fi one. So Riker heads off to sick bay, and we find out that the old, uh, the old understudy was killed by a microvirus that targets specific DNA only found in acromarians. And the language of the episode is approximately one in a million. And Riker brilliantly deduces from that information, that's unnatural. <laughs> it must have been designed to do that. We got us a murder. It's a murder. <laughs> it's a murder. I, I love the way that it's, I don't know how they figured this out, right? <laughs> like, in terms of everything about it says the old man died of, you know, a heart attack. This is some serious searching, which, you know, good on, on Beverly for doing her yeah. due diligence, right? I, I think it's great. I am curious. The microvirus <laughs> is different from a regular virus because it's small. It's very small. Can't even see a microvirus with your naked eye. Now, a regular virus... I, I don't even know. I haven't I haven't heard much about viruses in, in the recent um right. <laughs> <laughs> with a microvirus you're all like Hatoo, excuse me. <laughs> I'm gonna let it sit on my computer. <laughs> Very small coughs. Uh, I love the sci-fi-ness of it's it, great. that it was targeted to not only a race, but a clan within a race. Like this won't hurt anybody at all. Except for Lornax. And if you're a Lornax, you're gone. It's very much like Gene Simmons' bullets in uh, the classic Runaway. Yes. Yes. Big classic. Have you not seen that? (laughs) No. No. Oh, my goodness. Tom Selleck, Kirstie Alley, and Gene Simmons. Oh, shit. Now I really want to see it. A sci-fi movie about... uh, Three conservative performers in one movie. Wow, right? But it's actually awesome. And it's not Dianetics. It, it has some of that 70s sci-fi carryover into the 80s where it looks real instead of, like, shiny. I'm on it. All right, Riker in repose is our next <laughs> scene. He's pondering the murder while he listens to some heart porn. Yeah, he does. Not really, but I think Star Trek really missed the continuity thing here by not having the hardcore <laughs> playing uh and then the door yeah, chimes. You know what he gets up to and it's uh yuda she has a night off uh and you know <laughs> maruk has pimped her out like night off you should uh, definitely go hang out with Riker. wink wink this is confusing though because what 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 does maruk get out of that Maybe money, cash. She's a pimp. I don't know. What <laughs> pimp's kid. <laughs> There's no money in the 24th century. I don't know. I thought this 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 scene was weird from that perspective. Is like what right. what was the goal? She didn't need to get the Federation more on her side, really. And if she I did, mean, why would she do it with Riker and not Picard, who is the leader of that negotiation? Because Picard hasn't had a hard on for Uda since scene right. two. There's sparks. Yeah, it seems very much in keeping with the feudal kind of yeah. situation where they might have a food taster and consider human yeah. life and desire of very little value. It's an interesting way of it's it's a whim. It's a little gift for Riker. A bed warmer. He's in number one, right? She, you know, if anybody's gonna yeah. smash the captain, it's Maruk. Oh, I see. Right? They want there was a double team situation happening. <laughs> like, you go to his, I'll go to. Can I just say though that I. I fucking love like the the one two punch of uh, Riker last week, uh, and then Riker this week. You know, last yeah. week with the like, oh well, you don't know Troy at all, you asshole. Everything fine, right. uh, and then also this week, you know, having what arguably is the is the male fantasy presented to us throughout all of pop culture and porn and all of that like just someone who's like willing and and like a blank slate and he's not all about it right he wants an equal and i was kind of waiting for him to fail the next step to go ahead and do it anyways yeah yeah because that's what so many of our uh, protagonists right like he says the right things but then he still gets to do it yeah they comfort that so well that they do go ahead and have (laughs) right the situation 
complete itself. And it's awful. And I was ex fully expecting this to be a situation where that happened. And I'm, I was so delighted that it didn't. Yeah, right. and I love that Bar. last moment with Riker and Uda just in a hug, just in like, mm -hmm. it's like, it, it felt almost like a, um, a little bit like a father daughter, which is weird, but it also reminded me a little bit of, <laughs> of um, uh, Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, almost of like, you know, it's okay. Like, I can see you're in pain. It's not your fault. Like, I felt like it was that moment of, you know, let me just be the person that that is uh, embracing you and doesn't matter why. I'm not trying to get anything out of it. I just want to make sure that you're okay. Yeah. And it was just like a really touching moment there for that reason. Right. Uh, and we learn a little bit about her, uh, again, though, cryptically, where she says she doesn't even know what freedom is. Um, and it's been so long uh, that she doesn't understand equality. And there's no unpacking of that. That's it. It's left with that. He's cupping her hand. Uh, and the very end of the scene for me ended a little weird because a red alert comes on and Riker does not uh, acknowledge it for a few moments. The, the lights are flashing behind him and he's still just engaged with Uda. Uh, and then even then he like he walks away sort of out of the door, not with an, an, uh, an urgency. And it's not a bad choice. Like, he, you know, he's in this other moment. I get a little antsy when things like that happens. Like, it's a run alert. You got to go. <laughs> what was that line from an earlier episode? Where it was like, you got to stay in your quarters if it's a run alert. I've got to get up to the bridge. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, I was fixated a little bit on how he was uh, caressing her eye makeup. And I was like, dude, it's, you're just rubbing off her eye makeup. Like, don't do that. That's. Can I say that that eye makeup, by the way, I am 99.9% .9 sure they took a piece of lace and just put it over her face and then spray painted spray. it so that it had that like lace and which is brilliant. I love it. Right. Yeah. The sovereign has it too. That like yep. very severe. Yeah. Maybe it was supposed to be their, their one alien trait, right? Like the Cardassians or whatever. It's like, right. oh, that, that's their thing. They have pigmentation on the side of their eyes. So we find out that the reason for the red alert is Chorgan, uh, the gatherer's lead understudy. He's firing <laughs> his inept uh, phasers at the Enterprise. And uh, long story short, Picard tries to play nice. Chorgan won't listen. So Picard has warp take out Chorgan's shields. Chorgan still, Chorgan still won't meet with them. He's like, no, I won't do it. Picard cuts him off mid-sentence. It beams everybody over to it. I love it. Tough shit. <laughs> I mean, if that's not a dad, like, I am sick of the arguing. Everyone shut up until we get to Disneyland. That, uh, <laughs> we did a road trip from Kansas City to Wisconsin to see my dad's grad school roommate and his family. Three kids in the back seat of oh. the station wagon. And we got to the town in Wisconsin from Kansas City with dad still threatening to turn around and we screaming. <laughs> and my dad stopped at the house to let us all go to the bathroom, put us back in the car <gasps> in Kansas City. No. We were a nightmare for like an eight-hour drive. What a bunch of dicks. And when he put his foot down, he, he went ahead and drove us right back. Wow. wow. That feels like torture for him. Right? Yeah, I was. Yeah, nobody won. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Picard does in this situation. I mean, it was a it was a baller move, right? But it was. It's, it's a bit, uh, I don't know, like looking down his nose at him. Like, you're not important enough for us to actually have a discussion with. I'm just shutting you up, and I'm going to beam onto your ship anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very uh, Josiah Bartlett. Yeah, I mean, this wouldn't happen with the Romulans or just about any other species. Well, in fairness, in fairness, this is a, the the gatherers have basically taken a bunch of plastic sporks and taped them together, and they're using it to poke the Enterprise. So they're not too worried about about that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so he beams over there, but right before uh, Riker says something to him, Picard says, "Well." I need to be the mediator, not the enforcer, which a little bit of contradictory to I'm going to beam over and shut you up. Uh, yeah. But he does it. It's the same thing. I mean, just to go back to some of the polit political stuff we've been talking about, like it is a little bit what the U.S. was trying to present, you know, position itself as we're the we just want to help everyone out. But we're also going to make sure you do exactly what we say. 
uh, to countries that are less developed and or rich as uh, we are. And so I, I found it was a much more of a, uh, you know, kind of an allegory to what we think of as the United States. With Chorgan uh, in Morocco, they're just uh, trading barbs back and forth. Uh, you know, like, you're not going to let us be free. We want to be our own bosses, blah, blah, blah. Just sort of pissing match about what will happen if they do go back. And then we head back to the Enterprise. And this is actually, we have the big crack in the case where we find out that uh, the microvirus is specific to the Lornai clan. Um, but... There was also another Lornak that died some 53 years earlier. Uh, and there's a picture of this guy. And wouldn't you know, right in the background, there's just a little sliver of a blonde girl. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the computer is able to fill in the blanks there and digitize that face. And wow, uh, it looks just like Yuda. But she hasn't aged a day. Whoa. Here's why I know that that technology is bullshit, even in the 24th century. <laughs> I, I have been teaching uh, uh, live uh, in person with masks for a really long time with these high schoolers. And then we had to go to remote. And I did not recognize a single one of their faces because I couldn't, I had not correctly guessed or assigned what the bottom half, and I was sure I knew what they looked like. I was sure I knew what they looked like, but no. Nope. It's a thousand percent now. Everybody you meet has a long ass beard, <laughs> and one day you see them shaved. It, you have that yeah. experience with everyone now. It's true. It's true. Yeah. But I also, throughout this whole scene, I was just thinking of uh, Super Troopers, and the entire mystery is solved by Data just going, and hence. Enhance. Love it. The negotiations continued aboard uh, Shorgan's ship. There are big demands and compromises of the two negotiators made by uh, comparisons. Uh, so Picard is like, you guys are a lot alike. He's like, why? Shut up. They're both immediately offended. Uh, he's like, no, no, hear me out. Hear me out. You're both really good at negotiating. You're both drunks. You're both really <laughs> You're like both to drink drunk. brandy. You both bring brandy wherever you go. Uh, eventually, Picard calls a timeout. He's like, let's cool off. Let's drink some of that brandy. Uh, and of course, no other person should pour it except for the servant, right? Yuda, the, the chef, yeah. taster, should be there to serve uh, everybody some brandy. Uh, and she's happy to do it. And we know why. I love the tension of this scene because of that, right? Because then you realize that was the whole reason why they brought the brandy in the first place was because Uda probably suggested it and thought it would be great. She could serve it to the people at the table. It's her only chance. You'll be able to figure it all out. And I love that we as the audience know that in this scene and that we're like, oh, God, when's it going to end? And then Riker shows up to save the day slash uh, destroy his up. girlfriend. It's uh, It's your classic dramatic irony. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm for it look here's the deal we <laughs> learn in the first scene that the people that they found right that the, they they were passed out because they got stunned so much and so they had like stun sickness or some shit that's possible you can actually stun someone so that they stop moving and or they're super strong and you have to disintegrate your girlfriend <laughs> because she just won't stop. Yeah, when he didn't tell anybody that her fingers are poison before he just repeatedly stunned and then disintegrated an 85-year-old woman, it was, uh, it was strong. This was a strong response before trying to, you know, hold her back since you know that she's not geared towards your DNA, Will Riker. Like, go, you know, push her. <laughs> right stand her. in get between. Punch her. Get, get, that, get that spork. Start poking her. Yeah. Like, it's not going to hurt him if she touches right. him. So there's so, so, so many things he could have done. They also gloss very much over the, like, five of us survived, I was chosen and transformed know how like my aging was slowed right 
what right. that's a thing you can do like that's someone should know that yeah it seems like you should patent that yeah maybe instead of hunting down these people you could have uh made a business out of, uh, <laughs> of the fountain of youth that you discovered it only works for acumarians i the only the only thing that I realized, uh, thought about was why he was stunning her and not physically doing it is because all she had to do was splash the brandy on this guy, right? And then he would have died. But she put the brandy down. No, she had like she was holding the glass the whole time. Not the whole time. Oh no, really? No. I thought the whole time that she's being threatened by Riker, like it would all she had literally did do that, and that's what he was. I am almost certain they're implying that it's her hands mm. once she down okay i thought yeah i don't i didn't even realize that she maybe spiked the brandy right she was just taking in the brandy so she could touch him yeah Um, because it was just in her skin her hand like because they never really got into it like they didn't show her like in the last episode rubbing it in (laughs) with the little foppish hand but that's what she did to the first guy (laughs) oh yeah see i just i guess i assumed because of the whole food taster thing that she was the poisoner right no you're right she was poisoning so uh um, um but yeah i think I thought it was she had to get there and touch him. But skin to skin. That's what I um, thought too. Yeah, but I don't know. It wasn't, I guess it wasn't clear. He Riker does tell the other guy, like, don't move. Your life is in danger. <laughs> and Picard has his back, you know, like he, he he beams in and just stuns another guy. The understudy is obviously not nearly as Because apparently as that works. Yuta, <laughs> because he goes out like a light. Uh, and Picard's like, I'm sure this is fine. <laughs> he looks around like everybody like I'm sure my commander has a perfectly good reason for interrupting these diplomatic meetings and stunning one of your guys. So, Riker, what do you have take to say it away, about buddy? This? Yeah, it's a very Harvey Corman performance from <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard there for a second. It, it, it is, and there's actually a technical reason for it. The special effects from the stunning uh, require that everyone in the background be perfectly still. Mm. So they couldn't do much of that's why Picard is sort of like just amazing staring off like he's paralyzed by what his uh, number one is doing at the moment. All right, so we get the we get the backstory, you know, pause for some backstory there from you to double stun from Riker. We see him bumping it up and we get to see the little green lines, the bars go all the way up to max. And and then and then he shoots him. And then there's this there's this really great bit from Den of Geek, uh, who has broken down all of the levels of uh, the phaser mm. that we've had up till now. So uh, they have it as this. The complete list is now stun, kill, cut through door, heat up rocks, head <laughs> explodey, aqueduct demolition, smelt ore, and now overkill. so those are all the things that you can do and they're all represented by one single green bar so you just have to memorize there it is where you are in that spectrum or you could be making a big mistake do they explain why the stuns don't work on her it's because she's been transformed into this uber being because science Hmm. she's denser than a normal old person young she's uh, a fountain of youth you're also unstunnable but not unvaporable no. that uh you're still susceptible it's to a bridge it. too far but Riker's real bummed out by this oh y'all yeah. so bummed out he has to do a downstage turn <laughs> <laughs> and face the audience <laughs> so we go back to tin ford Yet again, no Guinan visiting one of her many husbands. And, you know, we have a moment there between uh, our final moments between Riker and, uh, uh, well, well, first of all, immediately Picard walks in and the guy, somebody walks up to him and hands him a, uh, they call them pads, P-A-D-D officially, but their version of the iPad. Hands it to him, which I thought was odd. I was like, now everyone knows if you need Picard, go to Tin Ford. That's where you <laughs> hand him the information. Uh, Amazing. So he, he gets his new orders. Uh, they they they're going to a different spot than they were. It's not a big uh, uh, intensive uh, crew need, so um, people can stay for longer. Shore leave. Uh, he offers up to Riker, like just I'm not saying you need it, just you know let people know. 
And Riker's simple response is, I'll make sure the crew knows. And he goes back to being sad about, you know, not using one of the thousand other choices to <laughs> stop that situation. Shoot her in the kneecaps, for fuck's sake. Anything. Karate like, chop her. Anything. Karate chop her. Ask her nicely to take six steps back. Beam her. her somewhere else. Beam her somewhere, yeah. Yeah, Beamer! <laughs> Beamer somewhere, yes! Into the brig. So that was... Um... <laughs> Cover her with a thin blanket. Just going back to Picard's uh, comments there at the end, yeah. I like that they have taken our notes over the first two seasons here where the last scene always seemed to like button up everything in the yes. episode and put like a, here's the moral... You know, or here's some like little jokey ending, and I'm glad that they're listening to this podcast and responding and just letting the dramatic nature of the story kind of resolve on its own. Um, okay. It was nice to see that Picard wasn't like, it's tough when you have to shoot your girlfriend, and then I had to shoot myself, <laughs> you know, three three seasons back, right? Like, you know, it would have just, it would have, uh, I don't know, diluted the dramatic nature of it. And so I appreciate that all of the subtext was there when they were just talking about the daily, you know, day-to-day operations of the, of the yeah. starship, which uh, I appreciated. There was a deleted scene where they just sat next to each other drinking. And then Picard said, bitches, right? <laughs> <laughs> Canon. Canon. <laughs> All right. So that was the vengeance factor. Eric, what did you think about this episode? I give it a, a good five guest stars. Cause that's what we have. <laughs> Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, I think there was weakness in the performances, weakness in the script, weakness in the concept, weakness in the execution, but by and large, it's a, a charming episode where, you know, we get to watch every understudy that's ever understudied Petruchio all together. So that's delightful. Together, Greg, what did you think? I think I'm going to give it seven and a half fleshy root vegetables. <laughs> um, I, I like this episode. I do. I, despite all of our quips and, and, and jokiness of it, I loved the way the plot was introduced. It didn't feel uh, like it was formulaic in any way. Uh, you know, you, I thought it was going to be this type of episode, but it ended up being this type of episode. And then the, uh, you know, liaison that could have happened with Uta and Riker didn't go the way so many had gone in the previous time. So like, I just felt like it surprised me uh, the entire time, including at the end um, by having Riker make the choice that he made. And I was, uh, you know, into it. I, I really enjoyed uh, all the back and forth. Actually, I kind of liked the performances and the weirdness of the biker gang uh, gatherers. It felt uh, like it would have been this, clash of cultures uh that star trek does very well so um yeah it's 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 it works for me and i want to see more of uh this type of writing going forward kate uh, i'm gonna give it seven Akumarian brandies mm. uh just to make sure i'm nicely toasted for the rest of the night <laughs> yeah I, I i like this episode and this is an episode that uh has stuck with me through the years i think because uh of, I always have just really liked that Riker uh, scene with uh, Uta and the fact that it does sort of defy the expectation of the time period. And let's face it, that would still be pretty progressive for now. So it's it's just a, and I like the sci-fi-ness of it, the idea of a like designer uh, virus um, whereby you can single-handedly take out um, an entire clan of people. I think that's kind of neat. N- not as a precept idea, uh, you know, that I want to try or anything, but just as a concept. Uh, well, not surprising, or you probably won't find it surprising. I have no recollection of this show at all. Uh, so it was a first-time viewing for me. Um, I agree. I love the sci-fi-ness of the microvirus, however uh, unfortunate that term is. Um, uh, I love that it can can target uh, a specific clan within a a race. That's what sci-fi is, like drilling it down and almost making it magical. I mean, that becomes a spell almost, but with vague science-y stuff around it rather than hocus pocus 
Um, I do take issue with the name uh, Uta. The the letter Y gets so little use in the English language, and to then make it silent is just unfair. So I don't I like that. I think it's Yuta. <laughs> I think they said it. <laughs> I think it's Yuta too. You gotta let the Y get some work in the language sometimes. I was very disappointed with uh, Riker's decision. I thought that they could have worked as writers harder to have a reason why he couldn't have saved her or resolved this in another way. It, it just seemed like, well, we want her, we want him to kill her so that he has to deal with that. And that's dramatic. And that is dramatic, but they didn't give us a reason why he couldn't have done something else. But I agree with Greg. I love that it was left unresolved that they didn't try to fix it or make him happy at the end or show that he will be happy. They just let us know that he's going to have to live with this for at least until next episode. <laughs> um, so I will give this, uh, I'm right there in between. I'm going to give it six Petruchio understudies. Uh, none of them get the lead role. They have to keep understudying uh, and maybe work their way up. To the main stage uh but that beer is gone our 57 minutes is up and my pants are wet my friends we'll see you next week the gatherers remind me of ice pirates yes yeah what's the terry terry gilliam time bandits that also kind of reminded me of time bandits too we appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of re-engage Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 